Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Rev. Todd Laddick, and today I am preaching to you a, a sermon entitled, A Time to Grow, based off of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-9. through 9. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-9. through 9. So let us dive into the Word today. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is impartial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. Amen. As Christians, love is at the core of who we are supposed to be because we worship God who is love. With Jesus Christ, God's ultimate expression of love, we can surmount any situation we find ourselves in and we can ultimately love others as God loves them. Okay, so today's scripture is one of the most famous wedding passages ever, which bothers me a bit, I'll confess. In fact, though I have and will continue to, I hesitate using 1 Corinthians 13 as a passage for a wedding. And this may sound odd coming from a pastor, but I, I hesitate because I think we can we cheapen what Paul is writing about when we look at it as merely addressing marital love, as it is totally not addressing that at all. In actuality, Paul is writing his letter to the church in Corinth, a church he founded, a church that had become embroiled in deep division. So let's take a look at Paul's community. In Paul's time, Corinth had been uh, rebuilt as a major city by the Romans, and it was an epicenter of the Roman imperial cult. This cult, in essence, worshipped the emperors and some of their family members as divine, as gods. And there was much, to, much benefit to a city for being deeply and religiously devoted to the current and past emperors. Thus, Corinth was a thriving and important city in Greece that became well known for being an epicenter of emperor worship. As such, the church in Corinth, um, which Paul established, was in, in, was in a really tight spot, actually. Um, in terms of how they were viewed by the surrounding community. The Roman imperial cult put pressure on everyone to worship the Roman god 
uh, the Roman Emperor, excuse me, as a god, most perhaps, most perhaps not all Christians would have no doubt resisted any form of idol worship and would have stood out like a sore thumb in public. Just think of it in terms of the line. Imagine, well, we can't. We don't have to imagine. Just imagine a football player took a knee during a uh, the 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 national anthem, and you can imagine the kind of outrage that such people would get in public. So if you're if you are uh, considered a good Roman, and part of being a good Roman is paying your tribute and honor and worship to the emperor, then that's what you do. And if you don't do it, everybody's going to look at you like you're that guy <clears throat> not singing the national anthem. And uh, civic religion is a powerful force, my friends. It is. We see it in our own society where we somehow confuse the national anthem with being a good, you know, good person or being a, a good Christian and having Christian values. And of course, we know that the Christian message isn't just about America or any one nation. So you can see how these things get confused in the public, especially uh, when it comes to civic religion. And the Roman imperial cult was a civic religion. It's what it was. Um, so yeah, most Christians would have resisted that and they would have stood out in public like a sore thumb. And then add to the that, add to that the fact that there were divisions within the church that were eating it up from within. The biggest of these divisions was censored on a member of the church having a sexual affair with his mother-in-law. And he had been warned and told, you can't do that, it's not cool, it's not up to Christian values. Um, but just for one moment, just for one moment, imagine if that was someone from your church, someone you know. And imagine, as is often the case, there are people on both sides of this issue. Not because I think anybody thought having you know, sexual affair with your mother-in-law was good, but this is a part of the community. And so here is where the division centered. Do we kick this guy out of our church community or do we not? For Paul, as well as for many of us, we would say that that kind of behavior is not cool. It's not Christian and it's not a good witness. And if this member doesn't cut it off, he should be asked to leave because he's giving a very bad witness to that community and to let alone to Christ, you know, to Jesus Christ. For others, how could they kick this guy out? It seems so harsh and not cool. I mean, what about forgiveness? What about grace? You know, not to mention uh, how awkward and uncomfortable that must have all been for everybody involved. And it is amazing how such a scandal can really rock the foundation of a community, church or otherwise. So Paul not only suggests that this man, after having been warned to stop multiple times, be removed from membership until such a time where he can see the error of his ways, and then, of course, he'd be welcomed back. But he also begins to address the division that is splintering this community. And much of those divisions, aside from the philandering son-in-law, were over pressures from the surrounding community and how to approach living devoutly as a Christian in a community that is anything but Christian and, in fact, at times hostile toward Christians. This is where Paul's love language comes in. In verses 4 through 7, Paul writes, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Paul teaches us that all things are worthless, meaningless, outside of God's love. That is agape, 
not Eros, which weddings would have us think. That is agape. This is the highest, most pure form of love, a love we humans have a hard time comprehending, let alone replicating. When we look at this passage, we see the character of God. In fact, replace love with God. God is patient and kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. God does not demand his own way. God is not irritable. And God keeps no record of being wronged. God does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. God never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. When we think about how God is quick to forgive and slow to anger, God displays humility, especially, especially through his son Jesus Christ. Even though God need not be humble, as God is God. But God took the lowly form of a human being, became one of us, to show us his love. It may seem odd to say that God does not demand his own way, as God has commandments that we're supposed to follow, but how often does God strike us down when we sin? Never. He never leaves us, nor abandons us, but allows us to use our free will. God is not quick to anger again. He's not quick to be angry and keeps no record of being wronged. He wipes our slate clean, as a matter of fact, if we just put our faith in him. God is not happy with injustice, but rather God is just and rejoices when the truth wins out. And thankfully, we know that God never fails nor never fails nor forsakes us, but is with us always, helping us to endure through every circumstance. This is the God we worship, a God who is love and a God who calls us to love. As it says in 1 John 4 verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And that is just it right there, isn't it? If God is love and God lives within us via the Holy Spirit, then God's love ought to be pouring out of us no matter our circumstances. Amen? That's what Paul's talking about there. Not marriage. I mean, it can fit into a marital uh, covenant, sure. But that's not what Paul's focusing on there. Paul's focusing on godly love, agape. Now, we may not be perfect, but God is perfecting us in love. And through Jesus Christ, we are able to embrace the love of God in our lives and share it in the world around us. How does this news about agape and the real meaning behind the chapter of love, as 1 Corinthians 13 is known, how does that change your view of God and of love? How does it change the way you view the people you love around you? Also, how does it change your view of what love looks like when it comes to loving our enemies or those we feel are unlovable? Remember, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and love keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, 
and endures through every circumstance. As a congregation, this is a time to grow for us, us and every congregation out there, to grow in our ability to love all people who walk through our doors, to grow in how we show hospitality to all people, and to grow toward uh, better investing in our church and its mission to outreach to those in our community beyond the walls we worship within. Friends, this is about sowing seeds. When I first started at First United Methodist Church of Newton back in 2017, I preached a sermon called, We Are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. And if you recall, for those of you who were here, I preached about how it is all about sowing seeds and knowing which seeds or whose seeds we are sowing. Seeds of love, which is evident in acts of hospitality, generosity, faithfulness, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness, among others. We'll grow. Those things will grow into God-sized miracles that will transform not only our congregation and whatever congregation you're a part of, but the very community and communities that we exist within. Seeds of Satan, on the other hand, which are evident in cliquishness, stinginess, complacency, judgmentalness, ruthlessness, or judgmental ruthlessness, excuse me, divisiveness, and apathy, which is a complete lack of care, those things will grow into a worldly wasteland. So what kind of seeds are we going to sow? It is a time to grow into the farmers God has called us to be. Let's pick up the right seeds and begin sowing them here in our house of worship as well as in our community. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here and to be challenged by you to grow uh, and to grow into the farmers you've called us to be. We are to scatter the seeds of love everywhere we go, Lord. So help us to be those, those types of people so that we may sow or we may reap, excuse me, what we sow, and that is a whole lot of love. And uh, I don't think we could ever go wrong if that's where we are. So, Lord, guide us in that direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And friends, remember, it's always good to have you here. Uh, I would like to invite you to check out the episode notes where I've got links in there. And, of course, uh, uh, two of those links will lead to our giving pages. So if you're able to give to um, my church's ministry, that'd be great. Uh, if this is your main spiritual sustenance throughout the week, that would be awesome. Um, but if it's supplemental and you have another church community you're a part of, by all means, uh, support that church. And if you can support both of us, both of us would be appreciative. Uh, so with that said, uh, remember, you are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace. Mm-hmm.